Hi, and welcome to today's live webinar. I'm your host, Lucy Smith, and I'm a global headhunter with CM Life Science, a search firm with teams of recruitment specialists serving markets throughout the life science sector. Today's discussion is all about how to take advantage of data to optimize your lab. So we'll be speaking about how data translates into the lab world, the challenges surrounding data maturity, and what lab data could look like in the future. Anyway, let's get started. Rob, would you like to introduce yourself first? Absolutely. Thank you, Lucy, for putting this event together and uh, with two of my favorite thought leaders in the industry. So I appreciate uh, all your effort with that. Um, my name is Robert Pemberton. I'm a chief commercial officer with Elemental Machines, which is an IoT data platform purpose built for the life science industry. And I'm, I'm excited to be here today. Thank you. Great. Um, Amanda, would you like to introduce yourself as well, please? Sure. Thanks, Lucy. Um, my name is Amanda Allen. I'm the senior director of operations at Scorpion Therapeutics. Um, we're a startup biotech with two sites uh, across the United States, and we've been around for about a year and a half. I'm excited to be here with you all today. Brilliant. Great. And Erwin, if you could introduce yourself as well. Thank yes, you. thank you, Lucy. So I'm Erwin Seinen, I'm managing director and founder of uh, eLab Next. Um, the background for myself is both in IT, full stack IT, uh, from computer hardware, up to uh, managing strategies for deployment. I have a PhD in medical genetics, and with this I can bridge gaps between life science and IT, which I happily have been participating in the last 10 years. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so let's get started with the main questions then. So I think the best way to start this is to talk about how data translates into the lab world in the first place. So how about Amanda, can you tell us how you think data translates into the lab world and, and how that works for you? Sure. Well, I mean, within the laboratory, you're collecting a variety of types of data, um, whether that be temperature recordings from your instruments to actually analyses coming off of, you know, very sophisticated um, lab devices. So I think for us, it's about how do we collect that data? How do we compare that data? And then from those comparisons, what does that translate to? What does that mean? And what do we actually do with that data? Um, so for me, at least, that's um, what I think about when I think about data in the lab world. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people would have, would agree with that, and and that's just getting bigger and bigger. So from from more of a commercial side as well, and maybe even from a European side, Erwin, what what does you know? How does data translate in the lab world for you? Do you think? Yeah, so overall, the uh, life science came a little bit late to the party in the digital world. I would say, um, like I mentioned in my intro, I've been in this field for ten years. Uh, ten years ago, we didn't even have uh, iPads or tablets uh, in in the lab. Uh, laptops didn't have sufficient juice to spend the whole day uh, being able to work on those. Uh, but we already saw a lot of digital files coming in, and that only has increased over time. Uh, we started off with just simple uh, digital camera photos of, of uh, DNA gels and microblots and the likes. Um, we also saw the large genomics, the proteomics files coming in. So these are definitely uh, things that you need to take care of, and which is not possible to combine with a paper and notebook, which most scientists have been using in uh, 10 years ago. So um, access to digital means is basically um, what the, how that translates in, in the laboratory world. Uh, now we have smartphones, we have tablets, we have powerful uh, PCs, 
we have uh, access, we have uh, high speed, so you're no longer tethered to a network cable, you have uh, Wi-Fi, you have cellular network. So basically we're all consumed and within the data all around us. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's an unstoppable data collection force. No, definitely. And I think obviously some of the products that you have at eLab Next, you know, are really good at pulling that data together. I know you have your two products and I'm sure uh, we can go into that when we talk about, you know, shifting and growing, you know, your lab's data maturity further into the conversation. But how about you, Rob? Obviously, I know Elemental Machines and yourself, you're kind of experts globally, but, you know, mainly within America. So how does data translate into the lab world for you? Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, Erwin, it's funny to say that the industry was a little bit far behind because I was looking back at a quote that uh, Clive Humby put together in 2006. I think it's well known that uh, data is the new oil. And you think about certain industries that were very much ahead at the time in terms of data collection. And what he was referencing was that uh, more data is being collected um, than ever before. And I think um, there's certain spaces, certain industries that were a little bit ahead. Um, but now I think, you know, 15 years later, it, it definitely applies to life science industry and to the R&D. And so one thing that we talk a lot about is sort of, uh, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and needing to meet the basic principles of, of data and the data journey, being able to meet those basic needs before you can move up to more of those growth needs. And so uh, some of the very simple forms on the basic side would be around data collection and aggregation as a first um, two mm -hmm. steps. And then moving on to analysis and being able to actually use machine learning and AI um, to be able to process and make some adjustments along the way. So if you think about the journey, you really do have to meet those first initial steps uh, before you can actually move up to those growth phases. Okay. No, and I completely agree. And I think that that feeds really well into our next, our next question. So you know, you mentioned there about the journey and how that journey is so important when it comes to utilizing that data. So what do you think are the main challenges to shifting and growing your lab's data maturity? So you're a lab who has all of this information, whether that's, you know, in your filing cabinet or on, you know, a data management system. How do you then use that to, you know, improve your maturity? But what are those challenges more importantly as well? Sure, I can answer that. Um, I think the first um, the first challenge that you've highlighted is that it's a multi vendor uh, it's a multi vendor environment, right? So you have mm -hmm. uh, multiple vendors creating a wide variety of assets that are in a lab facility, and so um, the data is basically uh, siloed in many different aspects, right? There's um, there's everything from you know Excel files. There's people using um, you know USB ports to get data and um, all the way to, to PC connected assets. And so the one of the largest challenges is that all of the data is coming from a wide variety of assets and it's actually um, multiple vendors. So when you think about um, the data, it's, it's not very consistent, right? So there has to be some sort of uh, ontology or semantics around the data. And that's one of the biggest challenges is trying to get a common language so that um, there's, a, there's a clear reference about what the data is and what is being communicated. No, completely. I agree. And how about yourself, Amanda, coming from more of like an operational perspective? What do you think are the challenges of, you know, growing your lab's data and using that maturity and shifting it? Sure. So um, just following up on what Rob had said, I mean, basically getting out of an Excel spreadsheet and getting your data into a place where it can even be compared across, you know, diff the different types of inputs that are coming in. And then also, 
having that, you know, knowledge expert within the organization that actually can translate all those different types of means of data and, and let you know, or let IT know, or let your computer science folks know how they can actually compare and contrast that data. I think also there's a cultural shift that needs to happen within the organization, boots on the ground. So this was mentioned previously um, by Erwin that, you know, we went from paper notebooks to now ELN um, to limbs, essentially. And so you may have a few folks in the lab that, you know, still are not, I mean, I have this right now, right? They're not using their ELN. <laughs> they're, they're not putting their experiments in there. So if we're not collecting the data at first, we're not, we, we can't move on to those next steps of, of gathering and then analyzing that data. So there's a cultural component to that, especially in the lab, getting people adopted to that and understanding the importance of, of getting their data and getting the right data into the ELN or whatever system you've chosen um, to, to gather that. Yeah, and I completely agree. And what's what's interesting, Amanda, is that you mentioned a culture shift there. So in order for that culture shift, culture shift to happen, does, does that lead directly into leadership then? Is that all about having, you know, the people at the top of the business that know what they're doing and how to kind of lead the way in this, do you think? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that comes from the top down and then also the bottom up. I think it's important to find champions within your organization that really do either see the big picture with, you know, how the benefits of getting the data all in one place that can be used mm -hmm. um, or someone that's actually used that platform before that can kind of help engage others, teach them, show them the way. I mean, I think those of us know there's no limb system that's easy to use, <laughs> that's user-friendly, that looks great. So you just have to figure out how to use it and then sort of, you know, bring the others along along with it and get everybody on board. I, you know, I think understanding the why, right, why this yeah. is important, why we need to be doing this is very important for cultural shift. So yeah, definitely. And and someone who's willing to invest in, in it as well. And because I know sometimes people adopt things after, you know, it's already happened rather than being the person to take that first step. So I can completely agree with you there. And how about yourself, Erwin? Um, what do you think are the challenges to shifting and growing labs data? Cause I know that that's something that obviously eLab next, you know, help people do to compartmentalize that data in order to do that as well. Yeah, indeed. So, so I fully agree with uh, Amanda and, and Rob with, uh, so it basically comes down to, it's not hard to collect data, it, but it's much harder to uh, basically disclose or get back your data in, in the proper format that you need it to. Um, just to, as a comparison, you could have a, a huge crowd yelling all kinds of things to your face. But there's no way you can you can just zoom into one particular one or recollect everything that has been said. So uh, and for this you need to not only to have a database or just a stupid Excel uh, with uh, with uh, due respect uh, where you can have many files. But how are you searching for them? There's no way to get get the files back. Uh, the same is uh, with Rob. If you're working with partners, um, uh, you're able to have just one dashboard, one interface to collect data from many different partners and. Uh, by doing so, you can actually unlock uh, the value, the true value of your data. Of course. And I mean, aside aside from that, can anybody, you know, highlight any other challenges that there might be to, to growing 
or shift in your day to be well, there, there is actually one more that is, uh, it's a discussion which is important to have is security. Okay. Um, the biggest challenge is, of course, data security. The more security you're gathering, it, it's becoming increasingly uh, important to, to keep it safe. Um, and the big question that, that we get, and, and we have a perspective of worldwide because we operate both in, in Europe and the United States, um, should we go on-prem, uh, on-premises, or should we go into the cloud? Um, there's pros and cons, both methods, both ways. Um, on-prems could be more susceptible to so-called phishing attacks or ransomware attacks. We've seen some examples in the past with hospitals uh, were, were uh, basically in lockdown with their data. Um, because, yeah, I mean, in any organization, you could have thousands of workstations with, um, with all due respect, not very tech savvy people behind them operating them so it's it's very easy for a hacker or relatively easy for a hacker to go in into an on-prem and and get to the whole network um of course that that's some anecdotal and there's many organizations having great it uh, groups that take uh, great care of, of security but it the the fact is they have so many things to do so many workstations so many uh, intranet applications and services can become challenging to always keep it secure versus going private cloud or uh, public cloud share cloud um, where you can have the data to the professionals and keep it there. Um, again, both have pros and cons, uh, but this is definitely a discussion that is going on. We see in Europe, the Netherlands is more straightforward. We're going into the cloud and, and staying away from on-premises. Uh, Germany is less likely to go on uh, with, a, with a cloud solution. They really want to go for on-prem, keeping the data in their own house. For United States, we see a mix. Uh, if you're talking with organizations, they want to go into uh, cloud uh, because it's easier to do and it's easy accessible, whereas government uh, will certainly want to go to an on-prem and have additional security measures in place. Um, but that's it. it's a challenge where to decide yeah. where to keep your data. No, I agree. And I think when I've been doing, when I've been having a lot of, you know, calls in the running up to this discussion, that's something that has come up. Um, Amanda, as somebody who really adopts, you know, data and using that data to utilize operations, what would you say to kind of reassure someone who is nervous about security, maybe, or what's worked for you, for example? Yeah, so we've been moving towards from an on-prem to the cloud, you know, you really do have to rely on your vendors and choose people that are well-known within the industry. I mean, they know what they're doing. I mean, for example, AWS or Google Cloud, I think these are probably two of the big ones, vendors that you hear about. Um, and then partnering with IT. Right. So from my perspective, you know, I partner with IT. I really rely on their expertise to understand um, the industry where, you know, where where data concerns are in terms of security and and be that person to um, keep our eye out in terms of, you know, what's going on in the cloud, what we should be doing there. So I think it's about having a really strong IT presence within your organization, which can be challenging for startups, particularly. It's something that we experience. A lot of times we outsource IT. So I think the sooner you can get that presence in-house, at least that strategic leader and where they're keeping an eye on, on those things and making sure that you're in a secure environment, that you're placing your data in a safe, in a safe space. I think there's things coming along 
the pipeline too in terms of data security. And maybe Erwin knows better than I, but you know, I've heard rumors of using, you know, sort of the technology that kind of Bitcoin is based off of and things like that for um, storing data so that it's more secure. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that in the future as well and see where that goes. Now that sounds really exciting. And I just want to touch base on, because you mentioned there a lot about the cloud and having, you know, an IT department that, you know, you can rely on or that that you can work really well with. Um, We've actually had someone in the chat mention that security is solved with the cloud. Um, What do you think to that, Rob? What would your response be to that, Rob? I think we've definitely seen a shift over the last several years, as, um, as Erwin and Amanda have alluded to, that there has been a shift towards the cloud. I think that, uh, as I mentioned very early in the discussion, that many industries have already moved in that direction. So if you look at the financial industry, it's pretty well known that um, most of those, uh, the financial industry has moved to the cloud years ago. And so I think when it comes to safety, security, um, those layers are built in. And I would say within the last five years, we've seen a distinct change from uh, fully on-prem to to somewhat of a mix of cloud and on-prem and a movement towards cloud as well. But as Erwin said, it really does depend on, on region um, and um, location as well. So there are some, uh, some nuances there. Um, when it comes down to uh, the data itself, I think, as I said, a lot of that, that security is solved. And um, as Amanda said, when it goes back to the leadership side, uh, we have seen a shift from traditional IT where you're focused on infrastructure, um, you know, just traditional uh, com- computers and support to more of a what is uh, called RDIT. And these are focused on very strategic initiatives within the facilities. So uh, building out what the data architecture looks like internally and, and using pieces, as Amanda said, um, you know, whether it's AWS or GCP, using platforms that are already out there to build their data architecture for their own facility. So it's, it's much more of a strategic initiative um, versus just a, a traditional support role. Yeah, no, and, and that's all, all great um, insights into that. And as, as with any kind of industry, I'm sure as the industry continues to grow, more and more challenges will crop up and it's, you know, how to address those. But when we think about a lab that has all of their data, they're kind of overcoming these challenges, but they're really wanting to use this data um, and strategize their lab to obviously increase their lab's output and be more efficient. What sort of advice, Erwin, would you have for someone who wants to be able to do that? Well, there's for sure a vast amount of collaboration opportunities uh, currently with uh, with the digital world. Um, we, we basically went from the snail mill to microsecond data sharing um, within a decade. And so the reach of collaboration is almost endless. It's, it's not only with the colleague uh, within your room, but you can basically do collaborations worldwide, which we frequently see, especially in universities where they can uh, uh, really do a global collaboration. But it's also... Uh, to, to Rob's point, also with partners uh, with, with, uh, within the industry. So being able to uh, expose so-called APIs, which is just a fancy word to be able to exchange data from one system into another in a structured and a predictable manner. Uh, being able to do that, being able to do that with partners uh, allows you to uh, yeah, basically collaborate both with peers as well as partners. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And how, how about you, Amanda? I mean, when it comes to 
you know, how how you've seen data be used to strategize labs output. And obviously that can lead to anything. It can be to, you know, research being done quicker. It can be profitability of things like vaccine, vaccines and things like that. How would you say to use data maturity to strategize your lab? Right. So I think um, the most important thing, again, is, is collecting that data and getting it all in one place and, and making sure it's usable. So I think when we look at different solutions, mostly software solutions for um, gathering and analyzing data, again, um, kind of bouncing off what Erwin said, we always make sure that that solution has an open API and that it can integrate with whatever you know other solutions that we have out there. Because even though we may try to have one solution for all, that never works, right? You have, mm-hmm. you have, you know, uh, your ELN or your lab notebook. You have data coming off of your temperature monitoring. You have, you know, for at least in terms of Scorpion, we have a huge chemical um, proteomics platform. So there's ma- crazy mass spec data that's coming off of those machines. We have, you know, data scientists that are. Um, generating their own data using AI. So really, you know, you think about how do we integrate all of that? And that comes from making decisions up front. So making sure that all of those um, software platforms can be integrated through OpenAPI. And then again, um, making sure that everyone's involved in the conversation so that, you know, if someone's bringing something on, you know, IT is aware, ops is aware, everyone is aware of how that's going to work together. Um, within the organization to grow it. Great. And one question that that I have kind of following on from that is, you know, because it's all about optimization and increasing kind of productivity and efficiency. How how do you choose what data is useful or not? So how do you know which data, you know, is is going to help you to do that? Because <laughs> it's, it's it could be quite difficult if you've got all of this information coming from all of these different machines and different people within the organization, like you said. Sure, I can weigh in on that. Um, Well, if you look at what's going on in the R&D space, um, it's been uh, recognized that there's almost a $30 billion a year uh, waste, basically, of revenue um, due to loss of reproducibility. So at this point, um, you know, you can make a statement that all data is important, right? So some of the data is being collected, as we've been talking about, and it's really about aggregating that data and making sure that it's not in silos so that you have access to it but there's a whole set of data that may not even be be collected at this point. And so it's really thinking about um, collecting as much data as possible, whether it's um, the process, whether it's from the ambient environment that you're operating in, whether it's Mm -hmm. um, monitoring throughout the entire uh, life of a sample. Um, There's so much data that can be collected and generated and pairing that up with the data that's been traditionally collected will provide more insights uh, over time. So it really comes down to having access to that data, collecting as much as possible, and then being able to put that through uh, certain models to be able to figure out how do you optimize um, optimize your your operation. And we've we've got people um, saying that they agree that API is super important for, for lab data systems as well. So this is obviously something where a lot of people are going to be take, having takeaways from this. So one thing that I really want to discuss, and I think this is going to be a huge talking point from for all four of us, is what does the future of lab data look like? You know, what are the possibilities for where it's going to go? And I mean, I mentioned that I'd had conversations running up to this call, and a lot of people are, I'm aware, being a lot more adoptive of this technology, especially after the pandemic and needing to like utilize, you know, the lab with less people in it, for example. But I mean, Erwin, you're you've got a perspective globally well within Europe and within the US um so what do you think the future of 
Love Data looks like over the next kind of five to 10 years? Where can you see it going? Yeah, so one way to look in the, in the future is to also look in the past. Um, what we've seen, what uh, revolutionized smartphones is that um, basically Apple and Google decided no longer to create a Swiss knife. They allowed an open ecosystem. They allowed their own uh, Apple App Store, Google Play Store. They have millions of developers creating applications for their platforms. And to me, it's only obvious that we see the same trend coming into uh, the life science world. So uh, in addition, what I already mentioned about the API, um, we, we do have this API. We also have a so-called software development kit where you can create mini applications. Uh, we have our own marketplace within Elab Next where third parties can do exactly that. Uh, but I'm sure others will follow suit as well. As it, it's just a winning formula for everyone involved and especially for the end users, the scientists. Yeah. Um, Amanda, from an operational side, where do you see the future of lab data going? I mean, especially with Scorpion Therapeutics, I know you guys are growing and growing and growing. So it's quite exciting, I imagine. Sure. I mean, I think uh, one of the biggest things that I've even already experienced over the years, and um, I mean, thanks to Rob here with Elemental Machines. Um, so previously, when it comes to well, just something very basic like lab monitoring, which obviously is a big impact to operations because we are required to, you know, be the emergency response team. So, you know, in the past, whenever we were collecting, uh, when we would have an alarm go off, usually it's a relay switch, right? So you you only know if your device is alarming or not. You don't know what that temperature is, unless you know anything like that. But with a system like Elemental and and where where you know the technology has come over the past 10, 15 years is I can, you know, not only get alarms through text, um, I can also log in on an, using an app on my phone or using my computer, see where all of my equipment is, you know, globally, um, see across sites how things are performing. You know, I can know whether or not that alarm is real. So I can tell you that's definitely saved me personally and my team from, you know, having to go into the lab um, in the middle of the night, for example, because you log in and you see, oh, that freezer was just going through a cycle or or something like that. Um, it saved us money because, you know, you know, someone left the door open. Um, so, you know, ahead of time that, you know, before this freezer defrosts or whatever. So from an ops point of view, um, the technology has only made our jobs, I would like to say, easier, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or at least made it a little bit uh, a better experience um, so that we're not constantly having to run into the lab for false alarms, <laughs> Yeah, uh, which is definitely happening in my past a lot. So now I've, I've had a lot of people mention things like that to me, you know, getting notifications on the phone, for example, as to when something might need rectifying or checking. Um, how much time would you say overall that saved you? Um, I mean, obviously that might be quite hard to quantify, but. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember the last time I actually went in for a false alarm. So, <laughs> you know, you have to think that's, you know, depending on where you live, potentially 30 minutes to an hour each way. And, you know, and then you get there and, you know, stress is time. So <laughs> if you yeah. think about it, so I think it's definitely saved me a lot of time. Um, also, I've been, one of the other things that uh, has been really beneficial for me is now there's, you know, before when you wanted to build an application or, or something like that, you might've had to work with software development team. There's a lot of 
programs and platforms out there now. Um, I use one, for example, called QuickBase that allows me to actually build my own um, databases uh, and, and make applications and create workflows. And that's something that I never would have imagined that I would have been able to do. I don't know how to code. So I think the technology is only getting better to enable folks like me um, to actually create our own applications to solve our own problems. And I think that's the best way. Um, that's another benefit of, of data that we that we're just seeing now. And would you say that that's definitely saved you manpower then? Oh, yes. Manpower and a ton of money. <laughs> okay, brilliant. And I mean, obviously, Amanda referenced Elemental there, Rob, and how you guys have helped to streamline the process. So, I mean, and I know that you guys have grown significantly from when we kind of first spoke maybe two years ago. So where do you see that growth going? Where do you see the data world going as well over the next kind of couple of five to 10 years? Honestly, I think going back to the that hierarchy that I talked about, I think we're still in that very initial sort of base level. I think um, to Amanda's point, we've been able to offer some very, um, very useful services in terms of, you know, alerting, monitoring, reporting, and being able to make, uh, collect the data and making it accessible. But um, as Erwin says, the future, um, besides the applications, I also see uh, quite a bit of automation, right? There's already... A lot of automation within the space, but the more data that's collected um, and analyzed through, you know, machine learning or AI, you can actually start to improve processes and start to have a little bit more informed uh, optimization of every single uh, protocol, every process or method can be analyzed. And so by looking at the results and looking at all the data that's being captured, it really should um, enable people's ability to bring, you know, new drugs to market faster, um, expedite R&D. Um, by by that uh, using those tools, but again, we're still at the very base level of capturing, collecting all that data, and sort of building up the stack in terms of uh, the solutions that can be provided uh, by having accessibility to that data. Definitely, I mean, I, I work a lot in automation myself, so I know that you know automation is great for its kind of reliability and repeatability. Um, so obviously that means that the samples are going to improve and that then the data is going to be more specific. So I can see where you're going from that respect. But um, I mean, as a concern then from that point of view, do you think that that might concern, you know, less people working in the lab? Because that's something that again has come up when I've been speaking about the future of, you know, these systems that are going to obviously make things more efficient from that point of view, but does that mean that people might, researchers might lose their job or, you know, you're not gonna need that person in the lab. What do you think to that? Um, maybe Amanda from your side, cause you mentioned manpower. Sure, so I've noticed um, definitely over the past 10, 15 years is an increased um, focus on automation. Every, almost every startup that I've been a part of in the past five years comes right away is thinking, oh, we need this fully integrated system. And I think one of the mistakes they might make is not realizing that, well, that fully integrated system requires a full-time employee to run and manage that system. Um, and then obviously all the scientists working to feed the inputs. And then, and then you know, because you now have this fully automated system that's running 24-7, your amount of data on the output on the, end, the other side is you know exponential as compared to the data you were you were um, gathering before. So I think maybe it's not necessarily uh, would decrease your manpower, but maybe it's it's a shift in the type of employees that you have, people that can uh, analyze the data. I think obviously with at least what I'm seeing today with COVID, more people are embracing the work from home um, lifestyle or you know balancing coming into the lab and working from home. So I could see where this might be actually a benefit 
you know, right. for, for the scientific workforce coming in, they might have a, that ability to work from in the lab some days and then work from home others other days. No, that, that's a really good point. And uh, I'd want to ask you that same question as well, Owen, because I know that eLab Next goes into a multitude of different labs serving different industries. So it's not always just kind of clinical or research. So, I mean, have you seen anything yourself in anyone being concerned about adopting these data systems that might make them conscious about their right. own positions and so on? Yeah, so um, I'm not trying to echo Amanda, but I, I think it's pretty spot on. Uh, what you're seeing is a shift in, in the type of people doing a typical type of uh, uh, job to be performed. Whereas now it's not, it's less about the manual collection of data. It's more about processing the data at the other end of the pipe. Um, this is still, I mean, it really depends on the type of lab because uh, we mostly are in research and development labs. And in research and development, a lot of things are still being done manually because that's the way how you innovate, how you just try and fail and, and keep on trying and failing until you come up with something that, that just works. So there's a, still a lot of labor involved with research and development. But as you get more standardized, more automated, uh, yes, on the other end, the data collection, this is where the jobs are being created. Well, exactly. And I think that leads us to nicely onto a question that we've, we've got in the chat. So this is from Joe West, who's asked, how can equipment suppliers help the flow of data? Maybe I can give the, the first go. So um, ELAP Next is, is uh, part of the Eppendorf Group. Um, so technically, I'm also uh, part of the equipment uh, supplier, uh, which Eppendorf certainly is with uh, PCR devices, centrifuges and whatnot. Uh, so Eppendorf is, is really working hard in, in making this, this possible. So um, yes, to uh, Emil in the chat, it's about open standards and APIs, but it's also to make it technically possible. So how are you interfacing uh, a physical hardware, how to get the data out of that machine and, and going into the cloud to be able to consume that. Uh, I know that Eppendorf is, is really working hard uh, as the uh, platform Visionize already in, in the field. So many uh, devices are already uh, connectable and this will for sure only increase in, in the very near future. Brilliant. And how about you, Rob, on that? Because I know that, you know, you guys collaborate with lots of different products. So how do you think equipment suppliers can help drive this flow of data? I think the openness, as we've talked about, about the ecosystem is important with the APIs um, available. Um, I think one shift that has to happen is that it's, you know, is this, is that the data is not seen as the secret sauce, right? There's, there's other uh, aspects of the value that the vendors are bringing and, and holding that data back and holding it inaccessible is not really the secret sauce. And so it's sort of a mind shift change that the data needs to be open, needs to be accessible. Um, there's obviously there's there's a couple groups um, working on this right now. So the Allotrope group is working on the ADF uh, format, which is you know a standard to kind of help uh, address this issue. Pistoia and others, um, uh, Samuel, are actually all trying to handle the same question, where they're they're gathering data from many different suppliers, many different um, types of lab assets, and they're trying to create a standardization so that if someone says 
uh, there's a peak for an HPLC or, or there's a, a measurement from a pH meter, it all means the same thing. So if they can agree on uh, what the standard is and what those definitions are, like a, like a library or, or um, a dictionary, basically then everyone can um, use that data in the same format. So it's, it's really coming down to agreeing on that standard, um, but also not withholding that data as the secret sauce. There's a lot of value that can be created by sort of opening that up. Okay. No, again, um, really useful insights for everybody watching. Um, I'm going to ask you guys for any final thoughts or any advice that you might have for people engaging in this type of webinar. So, Amanda, do you have, you know, any final bits of advice for somebody who's interested in data and maybe looking to use it? Yeah, I mean, I think discussions like these and involving yourself and, you know, and learning about what other folks are doing with their data um, is helpful, right? Because we're still very much in this place of, okay, I, I have all this data, now what do I do with it? it you know, I, I feel like, um, so, you know, I think it's important for all of us to get together and share best practices and share what we're doing and share where we'd like this industry to go in terms of what we're doing with our data so that we can and work together to make it happen. And, and Rob, you're kind of on the forefront driving driving this. Um, so, I mean, do you have any advice for anyone as well who's who's thinking about using products like what Elemental Machines has um, and is on the fence a little bit? I think the first thing is that it just it needs to be a strategic initiative. And so, when I meet and talk with customers, I'm always asking them what is what's their data strategy look like and how are they thinking about this into the future. So. Um, I think it really has to be a strategic initiative. As we've talked about, there has been a shift in the types of individuals that companies are bringing on these days in terms of um, being able to handle the data and, and analyze it, whether it's um, data scientists or, or others. Um, but I think it, it really has to come from the top down because it, it goes across multiple areas within an organization. And so um, if it's a true strategic initiative, uh, then it comes down to trying to figure out how do you how do you look at the ecosystem of available solutions to um, to build a, a good path for your organization. So um, I think that would be my suggestion. Okay, brilliant. And how about yourself, Erwin? Obviously, you have a huge insight into the European side of you know data and how that's been adopted. And I know that that can be slightly different to how things are in the US. So do you have any advice from people maybe in the lab in Europe? wanting to do the same? Yeah, so mostly just get your feet wet, I would say. Uh, if you haven't made the shift from a paper notebook, just go out there, start trialing, um, uh, just get in the digital world and, and you'll see there's gonna be a whole world opening up for you. Brilliant, well, I, I think that that seems like a great place to, to leave it today. Um, I want to thank you everyone in the audience for joining us and thank you to today's panel as well. Um, what we will be having for attendees and anyone that perhaps didn't attend is a PDF document with all of the takeaways from today. And of course, on top of that, if anybody has any recruitment needs in the life science sector, um, you can always find me and please get in touch and my details will also be online as well. But thank you everybody and goodbye. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you. Thank Bye, you. Guys. Thank you.